0: Well, hey, guys. Thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the harbor. So have you ever seen one of those satellite images of the earth at night? One of those where you can kind of see, like, the light where there's giant cities like Paris and Tokyo and Beijing and New York. And then there's all these kind of dark spots like in Siberia or in northern Canada where there's, like, no humans. Like, I say that um, because we are starting or relaunching a new series in the harbor called Old Dead Guys. And it's about the minor prophets. And if you were to ask most Christians uh, how often they read the minor prophets as compared to other books of the Bible, I think we could kind of think about it like that satellite image, like maybe Psalm 23 and the Gospels and Romans and Ephesians. Those would be like the big cities. And then the minor prophets would kind of be like northern Canada. Like we don't go there very much. It's dark, it's intimidating, and there's some weird stuff happening. So so I want our community to love the scriptures, even the challenging stuff. And personally for me, as I've taken over the last 10 years really tried to study the word, I've discovered that some of my most beautiful experiences with God have happened in books and in passages that that I was actually afraid to start venturing into. And that's the heart I want to have is that we would love all the scripture. In fact, in 2 Timothy 3, Paul writes and he says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. And and the whole Bible is useful to our lives. The whole Bible is breathed out by God, including the minor prophets, which we're diving into. Now, uh, we we started this series before the pandemic, and we studied Joel and Amos. But since we're relaunching it, I want to take just a moment here and share four tools with you that are going to be helpful as we read the minor prophets. So imagine a tool belt and four tools. So number one. We, we need to remember that these minor prophets were originally called the 12. They're not called minor because they're less important. They're called minor because they're small. In fact, all 12 at one time fit on one scroll. So that's the first thing. Number two, they were written to a divided kingdom. Now, ha- two-thirds of your Bible, the Old Testament, is all about one family, the chosen Israelite nation. And God promised this this people a land, and his intention was that they would live in this land and shine forth his glory. But unfortunately, because of sin, they they divided into this northern kingdom called Israel, who was always bad all the time, and, and the southern kingdom called Judah, which was mostly bad most of the time. And so the, the prophets would either talk specifically to Israel or to Judah, sometimes to both. The third tool in your tool belt is that we need to realize that the minor prophets are mostly made up of this non-linear poetry. Now, uh, I I remember uh, one poem in high school specifically, I don't remember much, but I remember I had to memorize one of Shakespeare's sonnets, and really the only thing that still sticks with me is uh, that there's this uh, phrase, shall I compare thee to a summer's day, thou art more lovely and more temperate. And that's basically Shakespeare's way of saying, girl, you look good. But there, there's something more beautiful about saying it the way Shakespeare said it than the way I, I said it by saying, girl, you look good. It's not necessarily as succinct or as clear, but there's something more to it. And that's what we have to understand as we're reading the Minor Prophets is that uh, it's about poetry and we have to read into that symbolism. The, the fourth and final tool that I need us to understand is that these prophets, they talked about primarily three things. They talked about the present situation that was happening for the people at the time. They talked about their future. Now, their future is our past, right? Because they lived thousands of years ago. And then also the prophets talked about the, the future of the world, which makes up our future. And so we're going to see all three of those at play throughout our series of the Minor Prophets. Okay, so, so I've given you my little spiel on the importance of Scripture. I've talked about the four tools that we need for our Minor Prophet tool belt. Now I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive into uh, Old Dead Guys Part 2, and we're going to look at Hosea. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. We are grateful to you. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. God, I pray that you would speak to us and encourage us through this message tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the plan for tonight is I'm going to give you a recap of the book of Hosea. That's going to take about 15 minutes. And then I'm going to wrap up with two takeaways that, that we can uh, just apply to our lives from this book. So, so Hosea, as a recap, it's going to be four parts, And and here's the thing, as I said, this is non-linear poetry. And so if you read Hosea over the next week or so, you're gonna discover that this jumps around a lot. And so uh, the, the, the book of Hosea is not written kind of linearly in like a narrative, but we can pull themes out from it. And so here's the first theme that we're gonna discover. The first theme is this, Hosea's unusual family. Hosea's unusual family. Now, God comes to this prophet Hosea at a very interesting time in the northern kingdom of Israel. You see, the northern kingdom was in a time of great economic prosperity, but spiritual bankruptcy. And this is what God says in Hosea 1 verse 2. He says, when the Lord first began to speak to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So so God gives this crazy request to Hosea. He says, go and find and marry a prostitute. A prostitute someone who is coming out of this lifestyle of promiscuity. And we're going to actually see that promiscuity is going to continue. And God says, the reason that I want you to do this very bizarre request is that this is a symbol of how my people are treating me. And just like your wife will be promiscuous, the people of God have cheated on me. Now, Hosea goes and marries a woman named Gomer. And Gomer ends up having three children in the book. God tells Hosea to give them these three very strange names. The first one we discover in verse four, we see that the first child is named Jezreel. Jezreel means God sows or, or God scatters. In other words, God is going to sow punishment to the people by scattering them. The second is Lo Ruhamah. Lo Ruhamah means no mercy. God says. I will have no mercy on the people of Israel. And then the third is Lo-Ami. Lo-Ami means not my people. God says because of the wickedness of the people, they're not gonna be my people anymore. So the first thing that we see is Hosea's unusual family. The second thing that we see is God's rebellious family. You see Hosea's unusual family is a picture of what God's family has done to him. We see this in a couple passages. Hosea 2 verse 5, God speaking of the people of Israel says, For she said, I will go after my lovers, who gave me bread and water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine and the oil who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Verse Chapter 10, verse 1, how the richer the people get, the more pagan altars they build. The, the more bountiful their harvests, the more beautiful their sacred pillars. So here's what God says. He says, I'm the one who rescued you. I'm the one who protected you. I'm the one who provided for you and blessed you. But the more I bless you, the more you invest in your idols. The more I pour out favor, the nicer the temples are that you build to false gods. And then when you do that, you start saying, thank you, false gods. Thank you for all of this beauty and lavishness and richness. And you don't realize that it was actually me that blessed you. And I believe we even see this in our world. How often in our world do we see someone who is blessed financially or has accumulated great wealth for themselves? And instead of of, uh, us thanking God or or, or worshiping God, we just build and accumulate more stuff for ourselves. Uh, Another example of this we see is in Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. God says this, he says, There is no faithfulness or steadfast love. No knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And what we see here is that, first off, The the sin begins with a lack of knowledge about God. But when the people forget about God, they start hurting each other. And so often, the most vulnerable people, the poor, the downcast, the the innocent, they are the ones that are are actually receiving this violence and receiving this brokenness. Again, we see this in our own world, that when we forget to acknowledge God, And when we start creating our own truth, all of a sudden, violence and sexual assault and the murder of the unborn and racism and human trafficking start to proliferate because we forget about God. And so God, first off, he says that that there is this rebellious family and then he says there's going to be a consequence for the rebellion. And that consequence is that because They were worshiping the gods of this nation named Assyria, that Assyria was going to take them over. Verse 5 of Hosea 11, God says, Assyria shall be their king because they have refused to return to me. And this tragedy actually came true, and we can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 17. It happened 20 to 30 years after Hosea, and we read that the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria. Hosea's prophecy sadly came true. Now, now a little interesting fact is that this uh, event is actually confirmed outside of the Bible, And we can actually read in the Assyrian Chronicles the record of them capturing Israel. So so we've talked about Hosea. We've talked about the fact that he had an unusual family. That's theme number one. Theme number two is God's rebellious family. And then theme number three is a call to return to God. Now, Now the vast majority of Hosea is about the second theme. That's why it's kind of a challenging and heavy read. But four different times during Hosea, the prophet pauses and he pleads for the people to return to God. One of the most beautiful examples is from Hosea chapter 6. And this is what it says. It says, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rain waters the earth. Hosea says God is disciplining us. But he wants to heal us. He wants to revive us. So let us return to God. Let's not just return to God once, but let's press on to continue to know him. And the promise of that is just like the rain waters the earth, God will once again pour out his spirit on us. And maybe you're listening to me. Maybe you're under the sound of my voice, and you would say, Brian, that's me. Like, I I feel... Far from God, I've been the one who's rebelling against God. And maybe you even feel and everyone around you knows that that, that you almost have been experiencing this this wilderness or this desolate place in your life because you've run away from God. Maybe everyone around you would say things are going good and things look great, but you know in your heart that that something's not right because you're not right with God. And I would just encourage you with the exact same thing that Hosea encouraged them. There's a command and there's a promise. The command is return to God. Not not just for an emotional moment, but press on and pursue God. Make sure that, that you keep running towards him. And the promise is that he will heal the wounds of the past. And he will raise you up so you can live with him. He will Revive your soul. Theme three, a call to return to God. And then the fourth and final theme that we will learn about is God's heart for restoration. The final scene that we get with Hosea and Gomer happens in chapter three. And we discover that Gomer has cheated on Hosea. She's left him for another man. And God commands Hosea to pursue Gomer to go back to her and to love her again. And Hosea actually goes to the place where his wife has cheated on him and he buys her back for 15 pieces of silver. And we see here that this is the heart of God. That when we walk away from God, God doesn't just leave us, he pursues us. It says in Hosea chapter 2, In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, the creatures that move along the ground. This is Hosea 2.18. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land, so that all may lie down in safety. What we see here is that God is, is pursuing humanity so much so that he's restoring individuals, but he also says one day all war and all violence will end. Verse 20, he says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. Once again, God's heart for the people of Israel and for all people. And this will happen when Jesus comes back and he establishes his rule and his reign again. So that's the story of Hosea. We've learned about the four themes that can be pulled out of this book. And as we leave tonight, I want to just share two takeaways with you. The first thing for you to write down if you're taking notes is this, that God's love includes his jealousy. God's love includes his jealousy. Throughout Hosea, we see this incredible picture of God. He's pictured as a husband whose wife is cheating on him. As a father whose children have walked away. Hosea 11.1 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals. And they burned incense to images. But then God says, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. And I bent down and fed them. I love this text because it shows us the deep compassion and heart that God has towards his people. He says, I made you. I taught you to walk. I healed and provided for you. I led you. But the more that I poured out my love and compassion, the more they walked away. And I think so many people, even with their relationship with God, that they say, man, why why can't God just leave me alone? Why can't he just let me do what I want? And I think so often we forget that every blessing we have is for God. And the worst possible thing that God can do is to say, have it your way. God's love includes his jealousy. I I just, Katie and I, my, my wife and I, we just had a son, our first son six months ago, and his name is Isaiah. And part of my love for Isaiah is a jealousy for him. I love him, I want to give him the thing he wants, but I'm also jealous. Like if we ever went to Walmart, like at Walmart, he can't have everything that he wants to have. There are some chemicals that if he puts those in his mouth, they'd be incredibly harmful to him. And so I'm gonna be jealous and I'm gonna keep him away from those things, even if he may want them because they're bad for him. He, he can't go with every person that he wants to go with or every person that wants to talk to him because there may be some people at Walmart who, are, who have ill intentions for him, and so I'm going to be jealous to protect him and keep watch over him. Not because I am angry, not because I am mad, but because I love. And I believe God is speaking to us, and he's saying that there are certain things in our lives that are going to damage us, damage our soul, damage the people around us, damage our connection to God. And God says, I want, I'm jealous for you. And that's the reason I don't want those things to happen. Maybe, maybe you're listening right now, though, and, and you're saying, Brian, I've already done some of those things. I've already experienced, and I'm currently experiencing the, the consequences of walking away from God. And, and it feels like I'm in a desert. It feels like I'm in a wilderness. Well, here's the beautiful thing. So often God allows us to get to that wilderness place so that he can speak tenderly to us and so that he can draw us near. And I believe that God right now may be speaking to some of us and drawing us to him through these moments. Even in punishment, God's goal is restoration. So the first takeaway is God's love includes his jealousy. The last thing before we leave tonight is this, that God can't stop loving us. God can't stop loving us. One of my favorite verses in the entire scripture is from Hosea. It's verse 7 of chapter 11. God says, My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me the God most high, I will by no means exalt them. So God is literally saying, my people are hell-bent on running the other direction from me. But here's what he says. He says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim, these two cities that were destroyed along with Sodom and Gomorrah? God says, my heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. This is God's heart for his people. That no matter how far and fast they run away from him, that he can never let them go. No no matter how far gone we may look at someone and, and, and perceive them to be, no matter how hopeless the situation, God looks at them with desperate love. If we were advising God about whether or not we should, he should love his people, we would look at them and say it's a lost cause. But God says it's not a lost cause and I can't stop loving them, I can't let them go. This is radical grace. Nobody is too far gone, nobody's too far away. We'll close with this verse. Remember that earlier I told you that two of Hosea's children with Gomer were called not- my people, and no mercy. God's promise and his redemption, though, in verse 23 of chapter 2 says this, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. God's grace actually has the power to change your story. It has the power to radically change your identity. You see, the book of Hosea, it's not, we're not Hosea in the story. And someone else who did us wrong or cheated on us, that's not Gomer. In this story, we're Gomer. We're the ones who ran away from God. And Jesus, he is Hosea. He is Hosea our 15 pieces of silver. He's the one who paid the price and died on the cross so that we could be reconciled back to God. God proved the heart of Hosea. He sent his own son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. So that our sins would be forgiven, so that our the the punishment and the, the the consequence for our sin would be taken care of, and so that we could be brought back into relationship with him, so that we could receive mercy so that once again we could be god 's people let 's pray God, I thank you so much for this moment. I thank you for this reminder of your furious love towards us, your reckless love towards us that can not stop. And I think about the people that are in our minds and in our lives that feel so very far away from you, and I thank you that you love them desperately. If there's anyone listening under the sound of my voice who, who would say, I'm too far gone, I pray that this message would remind them that they are not too far gone and that the blood of Jesus can cover their sins. We love you, God, and we thank you. We are grateful for the story of Hosea. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.